0: You're listening to Soul Roadmap, episode 25. Welcome to Soul Roadmap Podcast. Each week, you'll hear strategies and inspiration to take action and live life better. Hi, I'm Dina Cataldo, lawyer, coach, and entrepreneur. This podcast is your roadmap to creating more success in your life, business, and relationships. Let's get started. Hi, how are you doing today? I hope you're doing well. I am doing pretty darn good. And today, I want to talk to you about my experience with breast cancer. As I'm recording this, it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and I've probably started recording this podcast a few times now because I didn't really know how to start it. I feel strange talking about my experience when it's in relation to my coaching business or this podcast because I don't want to be that person known for having breast cancer. I don't really identify with being a breast cancer Some people use the word survivor. I don't particularly care for that word because I think it has some victim connotations to it. So I very much use the word thriver. So I don't really identify with the breast cancer community. It's not something that I regularly attend events. I don't have a lot of friends who are in the circles that I see online that are people who have gone through breast cancer. I just don't. And it's not because I don't think those are great groups. I just never have felt a part of those groups. But I wanted to share my experience because it was very tied in to my development as an attorney. It was very much tied into what I'm doing now. I mean, I would not be doing this now, but for the fact that I had this experience at 29 years old, I just wouldn't. So I want to talk about that. I also want to bring awareness to some issues that I had that hopefully will give you more information, maybe give you some insight into what doctors are thinking when they're talking to you, no matter what kind of cancer that you might ever face in your life. It's something like one in eight women deal with breast cancer at some point in their life. And I know personally friends who have taken care of some suspicious lumps in their breasts simply because they heard my story, and I feel that if I share my story, maybe that will give somebody that little kick in the pants to maybe take charge, because I don't think that if I hadn't just taken charge of my own health that I would have had the success that I had in going through breast cancer myself. I'm also going to include some resources in the show notes so you know some things that I use to get myself through this diagnosis and resources that I wish I knew about or I wish I had when I was going through all of this because I did a ton of research on my own to try to figure things out when I was going through cancer and maybe that was helpful for me because I go into doer mode whenever I'm faced with a challenge, I just do. And that was something that was helpful for me. And maybe someone will find this on the internet and have some of those resources at the tips of their fingers. So, okay, let's talk about breast cancer. Yay. All right. So (laughs) let me start my story with this. So I have always been really proactive with my healthcare, uh, which is the exact opposite of what my parents have done over the years. But I have also been blessed with amazing health care through my job, so when I finally got my legal job, I was able to you know go check things out, make sure everything was okay, and I had had a lump that would go away and come back. And I went to UCLA, so I was also fortunate enough to go through the UCLA Medical Center, and they told me it was nothing, that it was liquid, and that the lump that I was noticing in my breast was one that would go away and come back over the years, and that was fairly normal, so don't worry about it. And I had ultrasounds, and I had biopsies, and it was nothing, and it would go away. But one day, when I was about 28, I noticed that it stopped going away and this lump just stayed there. I think what really made me start thinking about getting it checked out was just, it was pure looks. It was all about, I didn't really feel like this lump was very attractive and I wanted to just double check and make sure that it wasn't anything because it was just staying still. Now, keep in mind when I was noticing this, I was also in the middle of the toughest part of my career, I was working up to 70 hours a week on the trial teams in my office. And so I was in constant work mode. And at the same time, I had two other women who I came up at the DA's office with who were also diagnosed with cancer. So I was one of three women who ended up being diagnosed with some sort of cancer out of our law school class that was started in the office. And I was the only one of those three who survived. And we all had very different cancers and we all had very different experiences, but I was friends with those women and it was very difficult to watch them go through what they did. And it was unimaginable that I would also be diagnosed with cancer at the same time. It just seemed Crazy, like statistically impossible. So I went to get another ultrasound of this lump and just make sure like, hey, is this still liquid? Is it feels solid? Is there something else going on here? And they did an ultrasound again. They said it was fine, but you know what? We're going to double check and do a mammogram. And they said, well, the mammogram looks fine, but you know what? We're going to double check and do a biopsy. And then they did the biopsy, which was incredibly painful by the way, and it was still nothing. And they sent me on my way. I did have one woman, however, on the way out say, well, you know, if it was me, I'd have it removed. I'm like, okay, great. But she gave me the name of somebody and I ended up giving her a call and I went to just have it removed simply because I was self-conscious about this lump that was on my breast. It felt really unattractive. So I went to the surgeon, Dr. Lisa Gurgis, who is amazing. She's with Sutter Health and... I loved her immediately. She's one of those women who instantly makes you at ease. And I talked with her. She said, no problem, we'll have it excised. I asked a friend to take me in for the surgery. She picked me up. I had some great drugs because on my way out, I was just you know, on cloud nine, it was actually a pretty darn good experience. I wasn't scared at all, because of course it was nothing. I had been told over and over and over again that it was nothing. And it's a superficial thing that you're concerned about. And I thought, okay, well, I'm fine. I recovered from the surgery really easily. I went back to the office. In fact, I was even starting a trial when I got a phone call. And it was one of the receptionists from Dr. Gerges' office. And they said, hey, um, could you come in and talk to us? We just want to do a follow-up appointment. And I said, "Uh, yeah, sure. How does four weeks from now work? Because I'm about to start trial. And she got really nervous and didn't really know what to say and tried to convince me to come in, you know, in the next day or two. And I said, you know, I can't. I have a trial. So eventually after, of course, me being impatient because I am working on a trial, I don't have time for this, you know, of course I'll do a doctor's appointment, just not right now. She had to put the doctor on the phone and Dr. Gerges told me that I had cancer. I was dumbfounded because this was the first I had heard of it. And so I asked her, you mean like the kind where you have to do chemotherapy And she said, yes, and I know she hated having to say it on the phone, but that was the only way she was going to get me to stop working and actually come into the office. So I very much appreciated that she took the time to do that. So after I got that news, of course, the first thing that I'm thinking about is, okay, I was just handed off this trial. I need to make sure that it gets taken care of. Let me go to my lead and tell them that I can't handle this trial. So I go to my lead and I tell them what's going on. I'm very composed. I'm, of course, shaking because I'm just figuring this out and it's just starting to register with me what's happening. So I tell my lead, I'm sorry, I can't do this trial. I'm going to have to take the day off tomorrow. I have to go to a doctor's appointment. I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And... I'm composed up to the point when my lead comes up and hugs me and then the waterworks start. So I very much am cognizant of that. I do not hug people when there's something going on and before I ask them because I know that I will start crying if something is going on and somebody hugs me. So just, you know, an FYI. So it was pretty unimaginable. That I would be diagnosed with this simply because I was twenty nine I was told over and over and over again, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. It's superficial, but you know if you want to have it removed, that's fine. No big deal. So it was definitely a wake up call, and I had a talk with my surgeon about why I was told over and over and over again that it was nothing, and Dr. Gurgist looked through. The records from the biopsy, and she said that the tissue sample that was removed showed negative for cancer. There was a liquid sample that was removed that was suspicious for cancer, but because of my age, I was 29 at the time, that didn't fall into the doctor's category of being an at-risk patient. So they followed the tissue sample and determined that I did not have cancer. So that's something that you want to keep in mind is that when you're getting a biopsy done, the doctor's only getting a very small part of whatever bit of that cancer is. So I had a larger lump. It was probably like three centimeters, I want to say. And they removed a piece of that three centimeters, but that doesn't mean that just next to where they removed that tissue that it wasn't cancerous. So, anytime you're removing tissue, it's not necessarily determinative that what is in your body is not cancer. So, that's just something to keep in mind. (laughs) Um, That's not a question I would have thought to have asked. I wouldn't have thought to ask was there a liquid sample taken and was that suspicious? Was the tissue sample a large enough sample to determine whether or not it was cancer? I mean, I wouldn't have thought of any of those questions. So those are questions that you may want to consider if you ever have to go through that or a loved one ever has to go through that. I wasn't thrilled with the fact that because I was 29 at the time that the doctors lumped me into a category of people who were not at risk, but that's kind of the reality of how our medical system works from what I understand. So... Although, you know, I'm sure that they serve a purpose. I did not see the purpose at the time of putting me through mammogram after mammogram when I was going to fall under that category of being too young because I had a large lump. It wasn't as if it wasn't something that the mammogram didn't see. It was that they categorized me as a younger person, not at risk. And that in conjunction with the tissue sample, that told them that I did not have cancer, but I did. So what did I do after I discovered I had cancer? Well, I knew I had to do something differently. And I pretty much immediately associated my cancer with stress because I didn't have any of those things that would put me in a category of someone who was at risk. So for instance, I didn't have any family members that I knew of that had cancer or breast cancer. I didn't test positive for the breast cancer genes. I didn't have any behaviors that would indicate that I would get cancer, but one of the behaviors that can contribute to cancer is stress. And I don't know for sure that stress is what turned that benign lump into cancer because that's what happens. The cells in my body mutated the once benign and liquid form of that lump it mutated into cancer. So anytime you have something like that, like a mass of cells, there's a chance that it could mutate into cancer. And that's what happened with me. And the only thing that I could see from my life was that I was stressed. And what did I have in common with the only people I knew in my life who had cancer, which were those two other women, Katie and Josie, was that I worked in a office where we worked really hard. I'm not saying that that's what it was, but that's how my brain associated things. So I started looking at what I needed to do differently. The first thing I did was follow the suggestion of a coworker, which was to start yoga. I had resisted starting yoga because it felt like one of those things that snobby women do and... And pretentious women do, but it was calling to me. You know, I, I'd walk by this place every so often and I wanted to go in, but I was hesitant. Then when I was diagnosed with cancer, I thought, well, what the hell do I have to lose? I mean, I've got to do something differently. I don't know what it is. Why not try yoga? I went to yoga and I hated it. I felt out of place. I didn't feel comfortable but I kept doing it anyway. There was something about it. I just knew I had to keep doing it anyway. I kept doing it even through chemo. I took time off of work and I went through chemotherapy and I gained like 35 pounds, which to me was demoralizing because I had always been slender and to gain that much weight. And I was told during chemotherapy, you lose weight, okay? So they told me, eat everything you want. Don't worry about it. Well, that doesn't necessarily hold true for everyone because I gained 35 pounds and it was really strange to me. I kept going to yoga anyway. I'd go a couple weeks after my treatment and then I'd take one week off because I'd have treatments every three weeks. So I'd take a treatment, I'd be so exhausted, like I'd have the strength of a kitten. Going to the grocery store was a major feat. I couldn't believe how tired I was. And chemo brain, that is a real thing. My brain would not function. I couldn't think And I would have friends who would come over to my apartment just to visit with me, and they would talk to me, and I could feel myself falling asleep, and I felt so bad. I felt so bad, but my brain was so fuzzy, and I couldn't concentrate. The best gift I got was, well, I had a lot of really sweet gifts, but one of the best gifts I got was a Netflix subscription, and it was wonderful because I could watch television and just zone out. It was the best. And if you're looking for gifts to get somebody who's going through this, I would suggest Netflix. Don't get them books. Don't get them magazines. They can't think or concentrate. (laughs) It's not something you can really do. But as I was going through that and going through yoga and kind of figuring things out, I was also recognizing that this was the most relaxed I had felt in years. I really felt like, Chemotherapy was a vacation for me. That was another signal to me that I needed to make some changes in my life because I had put so much pressure on myself through high school and undergrad and law school and now being an attorney to perform and not just perform, but to work myself into the ground because we're not taught in law school how to manage our time or how to take care of ourselves so that we can work more effectively. We're not taught any of that. We are just told work as hard as you can and you have to work harder than the person next to you so you can do well. You're only as good as your last trial, so you better work your butt off because if you don't do well on this trial, you're not going to look good to the supervisor. So it was a lot of pressure that we're putting on ourselves and to have those moments where I could feel relaxed, exhausted, and demoralized but relaxed was a big eye-opener for me, and I knew that I needed to do some things differently. I kept searching for things. I kept trying to find somebody who I could relate to because I was going through this, and Katie came over at one point she was one of the women who was going through her own battle with cancer and she came over to my apartment and we talked and we went out to lunch and she was wonderful she was a bright light. she could talk to you about you know what you're going through and empathize with you, but she was going through something that was like a hundred times worse than what I was going through, and to have her show that kind of compassion and kindness was a gift. I was very fortunate to have friends and coworkers come over to my apartment. I didn't really want to be seen, and I think they knew that, but at the same time, I did need it. One of the things that I learned going through this experience is that I had to ask for help. I wasn't good at asking for help. I was taught to be self-reliant and to never ask for help, really, which was to my detriment, both as an employee and just taking care of myself. That's something that I've had to learn over and over again is to ask for help. It was great, you know, for my dad to teach me that because I'm not reliant on anyone for my income. I'm not reliant on anyone To take care of me, I can take care of myself. But at the same time, I also need to ask somebody to help take care of me every so often. Like that's the reality of life. And that was something that I learned through this experience. One of the things I learned about asking for help is that it can create unexpected friendships. I needed help being taken to chemo, I needed somebody who could drive me. And I asked my friend, and she was, you know, a friend, not one of my best friends at the time. I asked her if she wouldn't mind taking me to chemo. And she said, of course, you know, because that's the kind of person she is. She says yes. And she told me later, this was, I think, years later, that the reason we were able to become such good friends is because of the bonding we did over chemo. Like she said, I don't think it's possible to watch somebody go through that and not forge a bond like that. And I have to say, Megan also saved my life during one of my chemo treatments because one of the mixtures that the nurse gave me suffocated me and she noticed I was turning purple and she called the nurse over. So I am forever grateful to Megan for watching me and making sure I didn't suffocate. So thank you, Megan. I learned that I had to work through my feelings and I never really paid attention to them before. They were kind of this superfluous thing. I worked my buns off and never really thought about what I was feeling. That never even crossed my mind. I just knew I had to do things. I knew I had to accomplish things. I never thought about, wow, is this the right thing for me? Is this really who I want to be or what I want to do? Going through this breast cancer journey and going through yoga really helped put me in touch with my feelings. And I took yoga teacher training eventually, and that helped me work even further into them. But I recognized things and let go of things during this time during chemotherapy I recognized that I had to let go of things during this whole time of chemotherapy. There were things that I was holding on to that I didn't know I was holding on to, dreams that I needed to let go because they weren't what I wanted anyway. They weren't really my dreams. They were things that I held on to really tightly and didn't recognize that I wanted to let them go. But I felt guilty letting them go because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I'd held on to it for so long that... I thought I was just being weak or lazy by not following through. And it wasn't being weak. It wasn't being lazy. It's that I really didn't want to do those things. And my body and my brain was trying to tell me, hey, this isn't what you really want to do. But I wasn't paying attention to those signals. When I started getting more in touch with my feelings, getting in touch with any of my feelings, really, that's when I started recognizing, hey, These things that you've been holding on to for so long, that's not really for you. I didn't know what was for me at that point. I just knew I needed to let go of some things that were not for me. I recognized that I needed to take care of myself while I was working those 70-hour weeks. I was eating microwavable meals. I was running, which I hated running. I didn't know I hated running until I started doing yoga. I had no idea. But I started cooking. I I'm linking to the cookbook in the show notes. It's called The Cancer Fighting Kitchen, and the food was actually delicious. I did research online to try to find other women who'd gone through breast cancer and try to figure things out and get some perspective, but you know, there were a few celebrities who'd gone through it and talked about their stories, which was really helpful, but there really weren't a lot of resources when I went through this. This has been 9 years, 10 years now, so There weren't the same resources as there are now on the internet. So, hey, really lucky if you're going through it right now, lots of resources, including this podcast. But (laughs) I also recognized time is short, which, you know, we all get that. We all understand that time is short, like intellectually, but it really lights a fire under your butt when you have cancer and you see people around you actually dying from cancer. I had a lot of guilt surrounding surviving cancer. I had a lot of guilt around living when Josie and Katie died from their battles with cancer. And I didn't think I recognized it as guilt, but I did because they were so dedicated as prosecutors. Like they were powerhouses and you you couldn't help but love them both. They were fiery and amazing women. And to see them in the prime of their life doing what they love, get cut down by cancer. And they went through it much harder than I did. And I'm minimizing everything I went through. I recognize that I'm doing that right now. But (laughs) I honestly felt guilty. And I had to get through that because, I mean, how do you explain that? How do you explain that away to yourself? Like, Why did I get to live when they didn't? I mean, what's that about? Think about that. How do you get through that? So anyway, years later, I had this dream and Katie was in it and she talked to me and she basically said, you know, everything's all right. Everything's fine. And she hugged me and she made me feel amazing in this dream. It was really strange and I don't always go for that woo-woo stuff, but this was pretty amazing and out of nowhere. So I have to think that she's somewhere, her energy's somewhere, and it impacted me in some way, and she gave me that dream. So think what you will, but that stuff, that stuff's real. All right, so how do I want to end this? (laughs) Because, man, this is getting a little emotional here, and thank you for bearing with the emotions, but I knew I had to do this episode. Like, I knew I needed to do it because I need to talk to... Whoever needs to hear this episode. And maybe it's not you. Maybe it's your friend who's going through something. Maybe they need to hear some of this. Maybe they need to hear that it's doable, that they can get through it. Maybe they need to hear that they're not crazy and that they should have that lump checked out after all. Maybe they need that fire under their butt to get things done in their life and to start recognizing what they need to make a priority and what can go to the side. I have to say that when I had some time to really think about what I wanted, like after chemo and after radiation, and when I started working again, really, I started by burning myself out as soon as I got back to the office. And I recognized I still hadn't learned my lesson. Like I needed to do things differently. And I might work just as much because I'm working both as a lawyer and I have a coaching business and I do this podcast, but it doesn't feel like work. It's a different feel, and I've changed my habits in such a way, and I've incorporated different things into my life in such a way that has changed my mindset, that has changed the way that I feel. There's more harmony between what I'm doing in my life. So, you know, people always talk about, are you in alignment with what you're doing? And are you in alignment with how you feel and what you do? And I feel a lot more alignment I'm not saying I'm 100% there. Like, I feel like there's room for improvement all the time. I have days when I definitely see that I want more of one thing in my life and less of another thing in my life, and that's just going to take time for me to evolve, to get those things in my life that I want more of, and to eliminate those things in my life that I want less of. That's just a process of evolution and that's all this is. Our life's a journey. It's all about evolution. But I just want you to know that if you're going through this, or if you know someone who's going through this, and basically we all know somebody at some point who's going through this, that you're not alone. And if you're wondering how to talk to somebody who is going through something like this, don't worry. I'm pretty sure that People with cancer understand um, that it's an awkward conversation, and if you come up to them with compassion and ask them, hey, can I help you with anything, or do you mind if I come over and I bring you some soup, or anything like that, food is a wonderful thing, by the way, Um, they're going to be understanding as a side note, I had some awkward moments when I came back to the office after chemotherapy because, you know, you lose all your hair during chemotherapy, and I got tired of wearing a wig. Like, it felt so awkward. I was always worried about it being kind of off, but nobody noticed, and I even <laughs> I even had somebody ask me, is your hair real? And I said, well, why don't you feel it for yourself, and you tell me. And she touched my hair, and she said, okay, it's real. <laughs> And I just laughed. I was like, okay. Um, So, I mean, maybe I was fooling some people, but I couldn't fool myself. It didn't feel right. So I went into the office with a buzz cut because it just felt more natural. And I got some really strange comments, but I think they were just people who didn't know what to say and it was no one in my office, but um, one person said, why'd you cut your hair so short? And it just goes to show not everybody knows what you're going through. And I politely went up to him later and I explained what I had gone through and just said, you know, maybe next time just approach that kind of a conversation with a little more compassion. Like, you know, maybe if you don't like someone's haircut, you just keep it to yourself. I don't know why I added that. Anyway, awkward moment. So this was a really raw podcast for me to go through and to share this with you. I hope that it brings you some bit of peace or help or something. If it does, I want to hear from you, please. You can find me at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash soul roadmap. You can also find me on Instagram at dina.cataldo. And I would love it if you would take a picture of you listening to this podcast, take a screenshot, whatever it is, tag me at dina.cataldo in your Insta stories and just share this with your friends. You never know who needs something like this. You just never know. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope this gives you something that you need to hear today. I hope you have a wonderful week. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Soul Roadmap. If you have a moment, I'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe, rate, and left an honest review on iTunes. I read every single review, so let me know what you want to hear more or less of, and I'll talk to you next week.